The first reading today is from Matthew chapter 5 and verses 13 to 18. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. The second reading comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, starting at verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. May God bless his word to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is eternal. And we pray that out of that today, we will be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to begin 
this morning with a short straw poll. I'm going to be asking you three questions and uh, if you wish to raise a hand as to whether you know the answer to the question, feel free. But be warned, George will be taking names. <laughs> no pressure. How many of you know that this book contains good news? I trust the majority of you. If you don't, come and have a word with George or myself afterwards. How many of you know that you carry this good news here in your heart 24-7? And thirdly, how many of you know that you are called to share it and to give it away? Recently on the Today program, which Jenny and I normally listen to on the radio during breakfast, there was a little item about a poll conducted by Reuters and Oxford University. They conducted it in many countries worldwide, but the poll was looking at people's uh, listening and watching habits on the radio or TV or whatever. But what caught my ear when I listened to this report was that they had found that during the pandemic, something like, I can't remember the actual figure, but it was something between 30 and 40% of people had switched off listening or watching the news because they were fed up with bad news. In fact, during the pandemic, Jenny and I often used to say, shall we turn the misery on or not? <laughs> because we simply got endless bad news. You see, we have to realize that across the whole world, but here in Swanley, right on your doorstep, there are people who are fed up with bad news. They're longing for good news. And we have it. Which is the whole point of what I want to share with you this morning. The point of those opening questions. However, there's a bit more to it than simply saying we need to share the good news as we have heard in testimony this morning. I believe that the Lord is challenging us, the church, you here in Swanley, but actually the church in this country the church, you and me. And the challenge is this. Is what we say we believe matching up with what we do and who we are? To put it bluntly, are we walking the talk? Are we walking 
the talk. Perhaps it's worth just very briefly reminding us what the good news is. Two verses immediately came to mind when I was preparing this talk. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then Paul's reminder to the Ephesians, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Indeed, we, I hope we know that the whole of the New Testament points us not to simple factual good news, but the very person who personifies good news, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is this, rather, or who we are called to know. Not just about up here, but to know in here, in relationship. And then, not to keep it to ourselves. In our first reading from Matthew, we have one particular expression of that sharing the good news in Jesus' twin illustrations. Not just to talk about it, but to be the good news. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The title for my sermon is Being Salt and Light. First, salt. We're all familiar, are we not, with salt used in cooking. We know that it adds flavor. We know that it helps bring out the flavor of other ingredients. But of course, in Jesus' day, it was also used as a preservative long before there were fridges and freezers. But also, in Jesus' day, it wasn't the lovely, pure, white stuff that we might pick up from the supermarket. It would have probably contained bits of grit, bits of sand. Hence, Jesus saying that it could lose its saltiness, become useless, be thrown out. This, I believe, is a warning to us, the church. If we tolerate impurities in the church, we are in danger, as Jesus said, of no longer being good for anything. But how does this happen? It's no accident that immediately after those two illustrations of salt and light, 
Jesus goes on to talk about the law. Something that we in the church in this country need to take notice of. You see, some in the church today have said because the gospel, the good news is all about grace and love, that they have almost suggested, perhaps not ever saying it, but living it as if the law could be abandoned. That we are free to redefine marriage from being between a man and a woman for life. That we can deny our created sex. But Jesus makes it absolutely crystal clear that all of God's laws stand. We cannot pick and choose those ones we are to obey and follow. Of course, we can't enter the kingdom of God by keeping his laws. Because the reality is, we all fail to do that one way or another from time to time. But once we have been saved, once we have been saved by grace through faith, then we are called to keep the law. But now we have the power of the Spirit to help us and guide us. It's what Paul was telling the Galatians when he said, walk with the Spirit, be guided by the Spirit, and then you won't fall into the ways of the flesh or your sinful nature. And when we do, because from time to time we all do, we have the great promise of God that when we confess, when we are truly repentant, we are forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. But besides Jesus telling us that the law stands, that none of the law of God is removed by the gift of salvation, we're still not asked to keep the law because we have to or else. Now we keep the law as an expression of love for him. In the Last Supper discourse in John, Jesus repeatedly said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not a threat, it's a promise. Because we want the best that we can manage for him. We want to do everything for him out of love. Not out of duty. There are too many miserable church people who do everything out of duty. 
We do it out of love. So we are to be salt, to obey God's laws out of love. What about light? Well, very briefly, the image of light is of a lamp or a lighthouse, highlighting the dark things, revealing the truth. But as I've said already this morning, the challenge for us is not just to talk about it. It's a nice idea. Yes, I'd like to be salt and light. But actually being salt and light. It means that we are to act in our communities, in our workplace, at the school gate, wherever we find ourselves. We are to act as flavoring, as preservative, as light pointing to a better way. We are commissioned to influence society. Now, I'm not going to argue or suggest how. I'm not going to say we shouldn't be marching on Whitehall with banners or whatever. But in our ordinary, everyday lives, we need to be those who are influencing for better, influencing for the kingdom. Last year, the Church of England, along with some of the other denominations, I don't know whether the URC was involved, but some of the other denominations, they devised a course entitled Living in Love and Faith, Christian Teaching and Learning About Identity, Sexuality, Relationships and Marriage. From the title, you'd think it was something really good, something really positive. But I watched on YouTube a trailer for this course. And on that trailer, there were two bishops from the Church of England and two other senior church leaders from other denominations. And in the first 10 minutes of a half-hour video, all four of them said at different times this. And I was so shocked that I wound it back and listened to it again and noted it down. They said this, and I quote, it is about time the church caught up with the world. It is about time the church caught up with the world. And I know from one or two people whose churches have been on the course that, of course, it was talking and looking for how to bless alternative marriage relationships, etc. By contrast, earlier this year, I was made aware of some quotes by G.K. Chesterton, the great Christian writer 
who died in 1936. So he's writing in the early part of the last century. And the first quote in a list that I was sent was this. We do not want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. That is being salt and light. Incidentally, another of G.K. Chesterton's quotes really amused me. The scriptures tell us to love our neighbours. They also tell us to love our enemies. Probably because generally they're the same people. <laughs> but remember, being salt and light can be costly. Already, there are people who have spoken out against the liberalization of marriage and lost their jobs. Or parents and teachers who are resisting LGBT teaching in primary schools have ended up in court. Even to share the gospel in the street or to offer to pray for a patient in hospital when you're a nurse can get you into trouble. But did not Jesus warn us that to follow him, to keep his law, to be salt and light, was to take up his cross? Recently, I watched the interview with a Scottish pastor from Glasgow, Dr. William Philip. He was a Church of Scotland minister until 10 years ago when he left the Church of Scotland with the vast majority of his quite large congregation in a big church in Glasgow over the whole issue of same-sex marriage. He was telling us how it was costly for him and his church. They lost their building, which they just spent more than a million refurbishing. But 10 years on, the church was thriving with multiple congregations. And he commented that in Scotland, the churches which are being salt and light, are growing. And the churches which are hardly different from the world around them are shrinking. But let me finish with two warnings. Lest we either fall back into harsh legalism or take on a holier-than-thou judgmental attitude. First, a reminder of what I said earlier. Keeping and obeying God's laws are to be out of love, not out of compulsion. Love for Jesus and love for others. 
because we know that keeping God's laws is the best way. And out of love, we want the best way for everyone. And second, remember that John tells us in his prologue that Jesus came full of grace and truth. It is not for us to condemn sinners. When I first became a Christian, getting on for 50 years ago, I remember the phrase that was always bandied about in our church, love the sinner but hate the sin. All should be welcome in our church. But ultimately, we are to point them. Point them, not bully them. Point them to leave their life of sin. One of my favorite stories in the gospel of the woman taken in adultery. What did Jesus say at the end? Neither do I condemn you. And many people stopped there. But he went on to say, now leave your life of sin. We are to support each other in our struggles. If we have struggles with particular sins, whatever they are, we need to have people we can share honestly who will support us in love and prayer. Not say, well, it's all right, it doesn't matter. Paul wrote very wisely to the Corinthian church this. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Sorry if some of this might have come over as a bit heavy this morning. But our country is on a slippery slope. I watched another interview uh, with a uh, sociologist professor. And he was quoting a book written in the 1930s by somebody who was not religious in any way, wasn't a Christian, a religious, but he had looked at 86 civilizations through human history that had collapsed. And every one of them collapsed as a result of marriage declining, belief in a God of some sort declining. Everyone. We are on a slippery slope in this nation. The church must be different, must be salt and light to be good news as well as to talk about it. So let's just recommit ourselves 
to reveal Jesus as both our Saviour and our Lord. In what we say, in what we do, and perhaps almost most importantly, who we are as the church. So I say, says Paul, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. At the beginning of this year, CARE, Christian Action Research and Education, sent out to all its followers a card with a motto for the year. It's from Philippians chapter 2. And I'd like to just read it to you. It's from the message translation, which some of you may be familiar. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Verse 